the Mark 10, 17 to 31 says, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And he said to, and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Shall we pray, gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you. We thank you that you're a Heavenly Father who cares for your children. You know the worries, the limitations, you know our weaknesses, and you're not a uh, God who is far in distance, but you're a God who drew near. You draw near in the fact that you will know our names. You're intimately acquainted with the circumstances and the details of our life. But Father, not only are you a God who is near, but you're a God who wrote yourself into the story. You're a God who became one of us to rescue us and to save us from our sin, our bondage, and from ourselves. And you're a God who is at work in our lives. You have given us your spirit that moves and guides and comforts us and convicts us and enlightens us. Father, we thank you. Father, we lift up those in our congregation this morning that are hurting, that are needy, whether it be emotional or spiritual, financial or physical. Because we all are in need. We lift up Vicki Evans-Verzenga. She is traveling to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota for her and her son Patrick. For the medical issues that they have, Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon her. Lord, that she would be faithful. Lord, and that you would be able to deliver them from um, their physical issues and the pain that they have. But most of all, that you would teach them in this to trust you. That Vicki's faith would be strengthened, though tried by fire, 
and pain and difficulties that when she is tried and purified, she will come forth as gold. Give her breath in her lungs that she may make much of who you are and what you have done. Father, we thank you for your provision, for the strength and the faith that you have given both Andy Rossi and Ernie Johnston as they are mending physically and overflowing with the knowledge of your unfailing love. Father, we pray for Ginny Key this morning, as it has been several months since she um, buried her husband. Lord, that you are the defender of the widow. Lord, may she understand that now uniquely that she would never have known before. Father, we pray for those who are struggling uh, with limited hours at work, with financial needs, uh, with physical needs of their own and their children and their parents. Lord, give us the courage to trust your word, that you walk with us through the valleys, and you give us everything we need when we need it and the amount that we need. You're never early and you're never late. You're always on time. Teach us to trust you. Let go of the things of this world that we hold dear, that cannot save us, and that prevent us from trusting you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would mute the pulpit mic. Andrew. Very good. We're continuing in Mark chapter 10. Um, the, the narrative of the rich young ruler in verses 17 through 31. And uh, last week, I thought I was going to be able to do the full narrative, but it turns out I'm not that good of a preacher, so I had to do part one and part two. And so we saw the unique challenge that Jesus gave this rich young ruler. Uh, and I want to continue that, the latter half of the narrative, oftentimes that we forget and that we gloss over after we see the young man walk away uh, and we have great pity on him. Sometimes we uh, are actually infected with pride, being thankful, well, I have, I've followed Jesus. I'm not in love with my possessions or with my money. Um, but we want to see it's not simply to not have wealth or not have sin in your life. Uh, what we need is Jesus. We need a Savior. So I ask you this morning, what shapes your identity? What fuels your desires? What holds your heart? What captures your imagination? When your phone is dead and you're sitting waiting for something, where does your mind go? What do you think about? Is it fame? Is it relationships? Is it sports? power or popularity or pleasure? Are the accomplishments that you have, um, have finished or is the accomplishments that you want to, do, to um, conquer? Is it your family? Is it strictly comfort? What can I do? That, what's the path of least resistance where I can be comfortable? Is it your freedom, your education, your health? Think for a moment what it is that defines your identity. What would happen if you lost it? If suddenly that thing that you had worked for and sacrificed and waited for was suddenly snatched away? Maybe by a phone call in the middle of the night. Maybe by a market crash or a corrupt embezzling employee or a totalitarian government. By the words, I don't love you anymore, or there is no cure, or we've decided to go another direction. What would happen if that thing that you hold on to in times of trouble slipped through your fingers like sand at the seashore? Would your life be worth living? Now, all of us are different in experiences in our lives, and your answer is very different than my answer. But what are we holding on to? If you say that your life is not worth living if I don't have this, then you've probably put your finger on your Savior. Last week, we saw the agony of a rich young man who uh, stood before Jesus, the only way and the only truth and the only life, 
and the door was open to eternal life, and he chose, rather than following Jesus and letting go of his possessions, he chose to cling to his earthly possessions, and he walked away disheartened. Disheartened is the Greek word, actually, that uh, describes Jesus in the garden, the great sorrow that had come upon him, knowing the path that led to the cross and the grief that overflowed in Jesus' heart in the garden of Gethsemane the night before his death was the same grief that this rich young ruler felt as he walked away from Jesus because he wanted Jesus to give the stamp of his approval uh, on his morality and rather he felt the door was slammed shut. And he went away. We don't know if he went home and thought about it and then sold his stuff and followed Jesus. We don't know if he was overcome with bitterness. We don't know if he was angry and kept going on his way. But his wealth, his possessions, his identity was more important to him than his Savior. Jesus Christ. And as we look at Mark chapter 10, verses 23 through 31, really the latter half, we'll discuss him a lot, uh, but I want to press, impress upon you this morning this truth, that God's impossible work of salvation brings blessings of incomparable worth. God's impossible work brings incomparable worth. How do, and then, therefore, what do we do? Uh, because God has done this impossible work and brought us in salvation, uh, incomparable worth, we trust Christ's impossible salvation. We trust Christ's impossible salvation, and we treasure Christ's incomparable kingdom. We trust Christ's impossible salvation, and we treasure Christ's incomparable kingdom. We look first at Christ's impossible salvation. The disciples, uh, picking up where the narrative, narrative left off, have just witnessed this rich young ruler walking away, this influential man uh, within society who was eager for eternal life, asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm moral, I've loved my neighbor, I've done this, I have, I've been faithful to my wife, what, what do I need to do? And Jesus' demand is that he sell all that he have, and that was a quite substantial amount, and give to the poor so that he could follow him. But amazingly, the man refused. He simply could not justify the price of following Jesus. Notice verse 23, after the man has walked away, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it would be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were absolutely amazed at Jesus' words. These, they were shocked at these words because like Israel, they viewed wealth not as simply a blessing, but they viewed wealth as evidence that God was giving you his favor. Very similar to many of the prosperity teachers today, that if you have enough faith and if you work hard enough and you're nice enough, God will bless you. And you'll drive a Mercedes and have a big car and a skinny waistline and you will have everything your heart's desired if you're good and you have enough faith. But Jesus is showing us that the key to the kingdom is not wealth. It's not our possessions. It's not the functional saviors that we come up with. Why is that? Because any savior other than Christ is a functional savior that ties us to the things of earth. And Jesus is looking to create an internal perspective that not only sees value in the world today, how Christians need to be um, working and moving and, and uh, establishing kingdom principles and priority, but there's great value recognizing that these days are but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow, and we will be, have eternity. 
for the rest of our lives. And it's a long time. Jesus is not demanding that all his followers take a vow of poverty. poverty. Instead, he is uh, exposing the necessity that genuine disciples find their identity in him. Not in their money, not in their inheritance, not in their servants, in their comforts, like this rich young ruler, or like us in our possessions, in our relationships, in our jobs, in what we do, in uh, what we are, but find our identities in Christ, which is lasting and eternal. Though the rich young ruler was a man who was moral, and he avoided sin, and he pursued moral uprightness, virtue in our lives, he had a much deeper problem. He was putting good things, his wealth and possession, and often what we do is we take good things, and like the rich young ruler, we make them ultimate things. And when we take good things and make them ultimate things, we render those things as worthless things. Tim Keller speaking about how we often put worldly things, both good things, blessings of God, and evil, sinful things in the place that only God is worthy to occupy. He says this, if you want to be a Christian, of course you'll repent of your sins. But after you've repented of your sins, you'll have to repent of how you have used the good things in your life to fill the place where God should be. If you want intimacy with God, if you want to get over that sense that something is missing, it will have to become God that you love with all your heart and all your strength. We live in a world, we even live in a segment of the country that... um, preaches morality. We want prayer back in the schools. We want to be moral. We want to follow the Ten Commandments. We want to do all things right and moral and good. Yet so many of our churches, rather than being filled with followers of Jesus, they're filled with rich young rulers who are following themselves. And rather than listening to Jesus, they're following the advice of Disney that says, follow your heart. And that is the problem with the gospel that the false gospel that we have embraced is because it's a trap not only for the wealthy, uh, those who desire wealth, but they think they can take good things, the blessings that God gives, and fill that God-shaped void in their heart that, that give them purpose and meaning and significance that only God, that we have been designed by our Creator to find our satisfaction in Him, and that until we find intimacy with God by repenting of not only our sin, but of using good things to find our significance, we will be unsatisfied. Like drinking salt water cannot satisfy our bodies, but only leaves us more thirsty, longing for more. Few are willing to risk liquidating their um, lives and whatever gives their hearth security to enter the safety and the security of the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells us, in light of this rich young ruler who has walked away, in fact, it is impossible for us to find salvation on our own. Notice a few words into verse 24. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus, in his clear teaching, gives us this ridiculous hyperbole um, to be able to show us that a rich person, and any person for that fact, has a snowball's chance of entering the kingdom of God on their own. It's simply not possible. And so he paints this vivid picture. Now, um, Boaz, what do you see in that picture? A man and a camel. 
Now, camels are quite large. They can weigh from anywhere from 1,000 pounds to 2,000 pounds. They're um, six feet tall or more. That's how tall I am. And they're 10 feet long. This is a big, big animal. And that's why I wanted this man to be here to be able to see how big a camel is. You can ride one of those. And I think when I went to China, I rode a camel. Um, they're not as luxurious as they look. But then you see a little tiny pin. And this, was an, um, <coughs> this is an old pin from probably the first or second century. And I tried to find one of these pins inside a person's hand. But they're probably, they're, this one here, the big one, is about five and a half inches long. There's a website where you can go and you can buy it for about $200. If you, uh, if 21st century pins aren't working for you, try the first century ones. Uh, but this, you'll notice that little tiny hole in the back, uh, that's the, the eye of a needle. And so you have this. What do you think the chances, Crosby, of you being able to get that big camel through a little teeny tiny hole like that? What do you think? Do you think that's possible? No, nah, absolutely not. And what's happened is rather than seeing this, uh, this uh, metaphor, this hi ridiculous hyperbole that Jesus is saying, this is impossible for a man, uh, for mankind to enter into the kingdom of God. They've tried to soften it by saying, well, there's a small gate going into Jerusalem called the needle's eye. Well, that didn't exist till the mid-centuries. Mid and then you have, um, oh, thank you. And uh, then you have... Um, where was I there? Um, the eye of a needle. And then they would say, well, it could be just a rope. How do you get a rope through there? But the reality is Jesus is giving us this hyperbole to be able to show us that it is impossible for us to find salvation and enter in the kingdom of God by anything on our own, on our own merit, on our own ability. It is simply not possible. And as you can see in verses 26 and 27, the disciples were exceeding, uh, exceedingly astonished. And they said to Jesus, then who can be saved? If salvation is impossible for man, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Such words at this moment blew the mind of the disciples, um, so much so that if the wealthy cannot enter the kingdom, the wealthy who have money and resources and make good choices, how could they, as common fishermen and tax collectors and um, an ordinary ragtag group of misfits like they are, how could they possibly be saved? And the answer is simple. There is no possibility on their own. As plain as the, as the nose on a camel's faith, face, Jesus says salvation is impossible for man. Just look at this rich young ruler. He was a nice guy. He valued life. He loved his wife. He earned all he possessed. He told the truth. He was honest in business. He was a good son. He was the one of those nice guys that we say, hey, he's a nice guy. But the reality of Scripture says the nicest, most moral people cannot accomplish what only can be accomplished by God alone. And this is Jesus injecting into this teaching over and over the reality of the message of the gospel, the bad news of the gospel that says there is nothing that we can do that can save ourselves. It is utterly impossible. Like if you were to uh, have a... Um, Tim Keller uses this example. He says, if three people were lined up in San Francisco and to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven, they had to swim to Hawaii. You had one guy who couldn't swim, one person who used to exercise every once in a while by swimming in the pool, and then you had Michael Phelps. Then we're all pretty confident Michael Phelps is probably the best swimmer out there. And so they all begin, and Michael Phelps is able to outswim the first guy who dies within about 15 feet when he gets into the deep water because he can't swim. And then you have the next guy who is a recreational swimmer and taught his kids how to swim, and he gets maybe a mile or two out, but he doesn't get to Hawaii, and he dies. 
And Michael Phelps does the breaststroke and the fly and all those crazy strokes that he can do with his hat and his goggles. And he gets probably 8 to 10 to maybe even 20 miles off the coast of San Francisco. But even the greatest of swimmers can't swim from San Francisco to Hawaii, and he dies. The same analogy is, it is impossible to be able to save yourself to enter the kingdom of heaven. According to Jesus the King of Heaven. And this is why we say in the song, Not the labors of my hands, not what I can do, can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. There is nothing that I can do to save myself. And what is the reality of the Gospel? The bad news of the Gospel leads us not to despair, but it leads us to the good news of the gospel. Thou must save, and thou alone. The bad news of the gospel is what Jesus says. It is impossible to save ourselves to the end of the kingdom, but the good news is this. God has provided salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not only for the wealthy, but for the poor. Not only for the young, but also for the old. Not only for the powerful or the weak. Not only for the people that make good choices in their life, but the people who continually make really crummy choices. Salvation is impossible for us. But do not lose heart. All things are possible with God. I love how J.C. Ryle, over 100 years ago, 120 years ago, in fact, uh, uttered these words from his pulpit in Liverpool. He says, But the heart of Jesus is a wide heart. He has abundance of pity and compassion and tender concern, even for those who are following sin in the world. Remember how Jesus looked at this man and had compa- loved him and had compassion. He went and he wept over unbelieving Jerusalem is still the same. He would still gather in his bosom the ignorant and the self-righteous, the faithless and the impenitent, if they were only willing to be gathered. We may boldly tell the chief of sinners that Christ loves him. Salvation is ready for the worst of men if they only would come to Christ. If men are lost, it is not because Jesus does not love them and is not ready to save them. Brothers and sisters, the call of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is this. If you let go of the things of this world that tie your heart to these kingdoms, religion, and money, and power, and education, and government, and social reform, and relationships, and pleasure. And it's not saying those things are bad things. Anything that, but, and, and let go of anything that causes you to forget your poverty and your childlikeness. Let go of anything that prevents you from following Jesus Christ. Lay it down. Let go of it and receive the impossible salvation that is freely offered in Christ. It is impossible for you to save yourself, but it is all things are possible with Christ. We're reminded that God's impossible work of salvation brings blessings of incomparable worth. Therefore, we trust Christ's impossible salvation more than the things of this world. Let go of the things that tie our heart to this world. Good things and bad things. Selfish things and selfless things. And trust Christ's impossible salvation. And and just an aside to this, when Christ is our treasure... All those good things take on new meanings and new things. Your identity placed on the good things and our relationships and possessions and money and, and things like that, um, are, they're not designed to wait, uh, hold the weight of your identity. But when you put your identity on Christ, those things are freed up to flourish and it brings a new dimension of joy that you can enjoy those things and it lifts your eyes to the hills from where your health, 
and your power and your salvation comes from. We trust Christ's impossible salvation and we trust Christ's incomparable kingdom. Peter and the other disciples overheard their interaction between Jesus and the man, and they watched in amazement at the rich man's silhouette faded on the horizon. And then verse 28, Peter began to say to him, See, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. And I, I wish I could know the tone of this. I don't know if Peter is bragging like, We did it, we left. Or, or Peter is um, begging for affirmation. But he is declaring that the, the, the disciples have left everything to follow Jesus. They left behind the fishing nets and their tax booths, their families and their careers. Good things, but things that could not save them and bring satisfaction. And Jesus looks to them in love and reassures them that their sacrifice was not in vain. Following Jesus, at times it is difficult to get uh, to open, hold these things with open hands, things that are good and and uh, that blessings of God, but not when they're ultimate things. And verse twenty nine, Jesus said, "Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time." houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, he notes, and the age to come eternal life. Jesus declares that every one thing they value that they left behind for Jesus, they will receive a hundred times, a hundred things that are far more, uh, more lasting in satisfaction than that thing they left behind. But the problem is it's not easy to let go of the treasures that we can see and that we can hold um, in our hands for unseen treasures and the promises of treasures that we can't see and we can't hold yet. But Jesus says that the sacrifice to follow him will yield an incomparable harvest that we will enjoy both today in this world and in the world to come. We're given a glimpse of that coming glory, like your grandmother's cooking on Thanksgiving when you would sneak in the kitchen and say, Grandma, that turkey smells good, and you would take a little bite of it, or you would get a little bit of that blueberry cobbler and it would taste so good and you would say "Ooh, that's going to be good i can't wait for dinner to start we are given tastes and glimpses and aromas of of this coming kingdom that satisfy us now and keep us going an old preacher g campbell morgan probably 85 90 years ago said this one house but uh whoop Go back, Andrew. One house, but a hundred, one house gone, but a hundred doors are open. One brother in the flesh lost, but a thousand brothers in the spirit gained. Those whose love is deeper and whose kingship is more profounder. Ocean Park, in Christ, we belong now to a family. We have a place to belong, a family to love, and a kingdom to enjoy that will satisfy us now and sustain us for all eternity because we will be with Christ and find our satisfaction in Him. We'll have a place where our value is not found in what we do or what we contribute, but our value is in that we belong to Jesus. A family that does not require you to earn your keep or justify your inclusion, but it magnifies the impossible salvation because of the steadfast love of our Heavenly Father who has sent His Son that uh, all who believe shall not perish but have eternal life. A kingdom that is not characterized by the survival of the fittest, but a kingdom where the meek and the peacemakers and the humble flourish. But Jesus, towards the end of, I um, can't remember what verse, I didn't put it in my notes, um, but he says, you're going to get a hundredfold blessings and 
persecution. Following Jesus is not an insurance policy against pain or an opt-out clause for trouble. Jesus' promise is that the road to the kingdom is marked by persecution and sacrifice. But the reward for following Jesus is eternal life, abundant life that we can have now, today, as we walk that path and for eternity. And it's incomparable than anything that this world can offer, though this world offers oftentimes pretty spectacular things. The incomparable worth that is found in Jesus is what made Hudson Taylor, who left the comforts of England and went and labored in China for 50 years, say, I have never made a sacrifice because he found contentment not in the things that he had or accomplished or possessed or, or experienced. His um, satisfaction and his contentment, contentment was in Christ. Johnny Erickson Tata, in her book, A Place of Rest, which uh, I believe, yeah, Place of Rest, I think that's what it is, um, writes at the end as she's looking back at nearly 50 years in a wheelchair and often in pain in her body, excruciating, and having to be cared for by other people. She says, my greatest need is not to walk. My greatest need is Jesus. And she says this, contentment is realizing that God has already given us everything we need for, the present, for her, our present happiness. It is the wise person who doesn't grieve for the things he doesn't have, but rejoices over the things he does have. When we have Jesus, we have everything we need. Though it's very easy for those of us maybe comparatively speaking, in the United States, but not, clearly not the world, who are not considered wealthy uh, by comparison. We think if we have just a little bit more, we have this, we have that, we'll be comfortable, we'll be contentment. But like Nelson Rockefeller, one of the most wealthy men in the history of the earth, says, how much is enough? And he says, just a little bit more. If the, a man who could buy anything, literally, will say, I need just a little bit more. Why do we think that if we get a little bit more, we'll be satisfied? Because contentment only comes in Christ and enjoying the blessings of the kingdom that are a hundredfold greater than the blessings of this world. The great danger of materialism is it ties our hearts and prevents us from recognizing the incomparable worth of being a citizen of Jesus' kingdom, of having a place in the Father's house. Ocean Park, may we see the incomparable worth of Christ's kingdom and leave behind the functional saviors, both good things and bad things that we may bind our hearts to Jesus and make him our joy and our identity and our Savior. Because God's impossible work of salvation brings blessings of incomparable worth for those who trust Christ's impossible salvation and treasure Christ's incomparable kingdom. But as we close, I came across this week I didn't know uh, Tim Keller has a book called The King's Cross, which actually goes through the book of Mark. And for any of you who have ever listened to Keller, he's amazing. Uh, he was a pastor in Manhattan for many years, and I just discovered it when I'm halfway through Mark. Uh, but I read it this week, and it blew my mind, one of the, the observations that he made. It's called The Trap, when he was t preaching through um, Mark chapter 10 in The Rich Young Ruler. He says that um, the disciples' desperate question, who can, how can we be saved? How can uh, we be a part of the kingdom? The answer was standing and hidden in plain sight. And the answer was the rich young ruler. But not the rich young ruler that we think of. Not the rich young ruler in chapter or verse 17 who attempted to be good enough and to uh, almost buy his way into the kingdom and fill the God-shaped void in his heart with good things. No, it's the rich young ruler in verse 21. The rich young ruler who looked upon his inquisitor's love. The rich young ruler named Jesus. 
Jesus himself was 31 years old when he spoke these words, and he identified with this man who put himself before him. Jesus, if we step back, we remember that he is rich beyond all comprehension. He, as the second person of the triune God, God the Son, lived in glory and majesty and wealth and love and joy in the perfect union between the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. Yet Jesus, living in perfect love and perfect unity and uh, perfect wealth as ruler of all creation, he laid aside the wealth of heaven to redeem his people from their poverty. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter um, 8, verse 9, says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake has become poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus, ruler of all heaven and earth, went into a poverty that is deeper than we could ever imagine. The poverty and the brokenness of our sin. And willingly laid down his wealth to redeem his people. Now Jesus, uh, when he says, leave the things of this world, the good things of this world, uh, he's not asking you to do something he has not already done. He is asking you to let go of what you can have and you can hold what you can do and find your identity in Him, in His glory, in His goodness, in His righteousness, in His love. And when you do, those things of earth that uh, grow uh, strangely dim, you'll receive a love and a joy and a satisfaction, and a family, and a place, and a salvation that is far better than you could ever imagine. It's like my opening last week of Andrew Peterson saying when he was 18 years old, all he wanted is fast cars and freedom, and he traded his Corvette for a minivan. And he said, I can't imagine how awful that is as an 18-year-old kid. But looking back as a grown man with a home and children and the joy that his children said, that trade was so much better. Oshabark, when you understand that Jesus is the true, the genuine, the ultimate rich young ruler who sacrificed his wealth to bring you salvation, it changes how you view the treasures and the blessings of this world. You'll no longer ask, how much am I required to give away? You will try to figure out how much you can give away. The cross becomes the new gold standard of generosity because the, uh, it is the irrevocable charter that accomplished a salvation that for you was impossible but overflowed from the loving, gracious heart of our God. The cross enables us to let go self-sacrificially of our functional saviors who are powerless to save us in order to serve the ones Christ served. And realize that possessions of this world that we accumulate are just things. And that money is just money. And status is just status. And like Psalm 49, even the rich man will be buried in the ground like the poor man and the beasts. But because of the only true rich young ruler, Jesus Christ, who left the wealth of heaven and embraced the poverty of the earth's sin to come and rescue you and rescue me and to love you and love me, when Jesus is our Savior and Christ is our treasure, we can say and we can come to him like the hymn writer says, nothing in my hand I bring because I hold my hands open. Simply to the cross I cling. I find my identity in the cross. I belong to Jesus. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Fall I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. 
Because with man, it is impossible to find salvation, but with God, all things are possible. Unbelievers, for those of you who are listening this morning uh, and you don't, you have found your worth in what you do and what you have and what you can accumulate, come to Jesus. Let go of those things that give you worth that you know when you lay in bed at night and you tried and you have only your thoughts. Have I done enough? Am I good enough? Do people know my doubt and my fears and my insecurity and at times my self-loathing? Find your worth in Jesus. He gives you worth. He makes you whole. He gives you joy. And he gives you eternal life by faith. Let go of those things to follow Jesus. Those functional saviors that can never give us eternal life because as Jesus says, it is impossible with man. Make Christ your treasure, your savior, your everything, and you will have eternal life, not just today, but for all eternity. Believers, For those of you who have let go of your wealth and your family and and your country for the worth of Christ, be encouraged. Each day is a journey, and each day is a new discipline of denying ourselves and reminding ourselves that we don't find our identity in who we are and what we do. We find our identity in Christ and reminding ourselves we're bombarded with images all day long from TVs and social medias and and billboards around our world and our workplaces and even our churches of all the good things that you can have. The world is trying to woo you away from the eternal life in Christ to give you the good life that when you bite into it, it tastes like sand and it cannot satisfy because it is a fleeting treasure that is here today and gone tomorrow. The world has convinced you that following Jesus is of no value. They'll think you're crazy, think you're foolish, that you've lost your mind. But you, rem- or you must resist the lies of savoring the sweet, uh, uh, the, the uh, fleeting sweetness of the world that leads to death and find sweetness in Christ that leads to life. You need diets. You need exercise, and you need community. You need diet to train your palate to hunger for the goodness of Christ. I fear that probably upwards of 70 to 80% of Christians aren't reading their Bibles. They're simply not. But if you go on your phone... Hours are spent on social media. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I warn you that you're starving yourself to death. That you're eating the trans fat of the world that will destroy you. When the sustenance of the daily bread of Jesus Christ is what you need. You need exercise. You need to prepare your soul to endure the long road that leads to glory. One of the Psalms says, Lord, I sit in silence and wait for you. But we bombard ourselves with the noise and the music and the TV of this world that uh, screams at us from our soul, but we don't sit in silence. We don't pray. We need to uh, discipline ourselves to prepare ourselves like a football athlete tortures themselves almost in August so they can run across the goal line in November. We need diet, we need exercise, and we need community. We need to invest in fellow travelers who will encourage and protect and correct us. Ocean Park, this is what we need the most. This is my greatest prayer, that we will not be a group of superficial Christians that come and talk about the weather, the politics, and the jaguars, because none of those are any good. But that we come together and we break down the veneer that we create, that we're all happy, shiny people, and lower that and say, I'm a human. 
I have weakness, I have limitations, and I need Jesus. And Jesus has given me you to make me more like Jesus. Ocean Park, don't wait for the phone to ring, for the text to come in, for that email, for the card. Be the community for one another. We need each other, especially in this world. Keller finishes his chapter by the power and the strength that Jesus gives to those who follow him and let go of the world. My power is always moving away from people who love power and money. and My power is always moving towards people who are giving it away as I did. Where do you want to live, Ocean Park? Jesus will give you the strength to leave behind the functional saviors of this world to follow him. May you experience the life and the power and the blessings of following Jesus today. Because in Christ alone can we experience God's impossible work of salvation, which brings blessings of incomparable worth by trusting Christ, um, trust Christ's impossible salvation and treasure Christ's incomparable kingdom. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are the faithful, rich, young ruler who did not demand his rights as the creator through whom and for whom all of creation was made, who lived in the wealth of the triune God with no need for anything else because love and joy and fullness and glory existed between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But out of the overflow of the steadfast love of the Lord, creation was made to bring image bearers, men and women, into fellowship with the Trinity to be able that they may have joy in fellowship. Yet rather than trusting in uh, God and finding our satisfaction in an eternal God who offers infinite satisfaction and infinite joy, we have turned to fleeting saviors who are pathetic um, examples or reflections of our own selves and that cannot satisfy, and we chase after the wind, and what we desire is always beyond our grasp. Father, salvation for us is impossible, but with God all things are possible. May we put ourselves last in this kingdom of this world, that we may enjoy the honor and the glory and the incomparable worth of Christ's kingdom because of he was faithful and true to rescue us from our poverty that we may be brought into his wealth. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.